All right, so we're doing Daf Lamed Aleph. We're starting from the bottom Mishnah Lamed Amid Beis, and we're picking up up on the theme that the last Mishnah had mentioned that Chometz Shavar Lava Pesach Chometz that passed by Pesach that was owned over Pesach. So what's the halacha if it belonged to a Jew? So Chazal says it's Asranav. We said we make a penalty since someone was did the wrong thing. So we so we uh, we say it's Asranav. But if it was owned by a non-Jew, then it's totally fine. So the, now the Mishnah gets into the dialectics of ownership. What does it mean owned by a Jew? What does it mean owned by a non-Jew? So Nachri Shehovah Yisrael Acher Chimso, Al Chimso. So what happens if um, a Jew a Jew is borrowing money from a guy? So more precisely, a guy is lending money to a to a Jew, and the collateral for the payment of the loan is the Jew's chametz. So the Jew gave the guy his chametz, the Jew's chametz, as collateral for a loan. And now it's after Pesach, not Achar Pesach. And obviously the implication here is that the Jew did not repay the loan. So the guy ends up collecting the collateral that the Jew gave him, which is the chametz. So what's the halacha? Who owned that chametz during Pesach? Evidently, it seems like he defaulted on the loan. The simple pshat is after Pesach. So it didn't, you would think maybe it didn't technically, technically become the mouth as the guys until after Pesach, which means over Pesach was the Jews. So maybe it should be also Bahana'ah. And the mission is telling you that's not the case. It's Mutter Bahana'ah. Since it was set as the collateral for the payment of the loan, so when the guy ends up collecting it, he's collecting his own thing. We don't say that it was the Jews over Pesach, rather it was the guys over Pesach, and therefore it's Matabahana. And the inverse, Yisrael Shehilvah as so just the opposite. The Jew here is the lender, the guy is borrowing money, the guy is providing the Jew with collateral with his own chametz, and now the guy does not pay back, and the Jew is collecting from the collateral that the guy provided. Because when the Jew is collecting from the collateral of the guy, we view that he's collecting something that is his, not that something he's taking away from the guy at this moment. We say that the collateral is his thing. So therefore, over Pesach, we say that it was Chamesh Allah, or Allah, Pesach of Yisrael. Now, obviously, this is a deep, hard point. When you have collateral in the middle of the halva, and then you end up collecting from it, so whose was it during the time of the halva? Do we say it was the Malvez because he ended up taking it? Or do we say it was the Lovez and just that ended up happening at the time of the collection? So this is a tricky halachic thing. It seems like the Mishnah is saying on Pashup Shah is that it's considered to be always the Malvez, but we have to see the details of that in the Gemara. So first, the Gemara, without talking about collateral at all, the Gemara just tells us about a general concept. Itmar, Baal Chov, whenever a Baal Chov collects. So again, just to understand a little bit, Reuven's lending Shimon money. Now, if Shimon doesn't pay back, then Reuven has the right to collect from any asset of Reuven. That's the concept of achrayus. There's the idea of accounting, you're accountable to pay back, so if you don't have money, so I have the right to collect from any of your assets. So when a Baal Chov is collecting from the asset of the, of the person he lent money to. So how is that collection working? Abayi Omar Lemafreya Hugova. Abayi is a very novel way of looking at it. Abayi's position is that it's a retroactive sense of ownership. If I lent you money and you don't pay back, when I go collect an asset, it was always mine. In other words, in a very extreme sense, if I gave you money, I've basically bought at that time a lien on all of your property. So if I then realize that loan, that, that lien, and I take it, then it was always mine. I always had the lien. I always, imagine as if I had the money that I lent you was just buying that field that I ended up collecting from. It's a very novel way of looking at it, but that's a bias idea that once the Baal is collecting, the collecting is retroactive. It's limma freya, that it's always had belonged to the Malva from the time of the loan. Rav Amar no, it's not like that. Only once the Lova defaults and now the Malva is coming and collecting, at that moment, the ownership changes to become the Malva's. So the Gemara now clarifies. Even though Rava says it only becomes the Malvas now, Rava agrees to the concept of a lien. A lien means that this field, this asset has to be protected for the future collection. 
of the Malva. So, let's say during the time of the loan, the Lova wants to do something with it that would push away the Malva's lien. Let's say he's mocked the to Hakdish or he sells it to somebody else. Everybody agrees that when the, when the Lova defaults on the loan, the Malva has the right to actualize the lien and go collect from it. Because even though it didn't belong to him yet, and the Lova sold it to somebody else or he was mocked it, but so what? That's the concept of a lien. The lien is that it's protected for somebody else. So even if in the middle, technically, it didn't yet belong to the Malva, but the lien protects his future ownership, and it says that if it was sold or it became actish, the Malva can go and take it away. But Malva Park, he goes and he takes it from either from a purchaser or he redeems it from Hakdish. It's not most of Odino brothers and Achazim Eilo. It's really a mission Erechin that the Malva just goes to Hakdish. He gives them one small coin. The one small coin is just a derabbanan, so people shouldn't say a field of Hakdish is just being Yotze without anything. But the reality is, he doesn't really essentially have to give Hakdish a penny because the Lova gave something that he, he, it was beyond his jurisdiction to give it past when the Malva would need to collect it. That's the whole concept. There's a pre-existing lien. So when the Malva goes and takes it, he's taking something which he rightfully has. He shouldn't even really have to be uh, pulled to anything, but he does it just so it doesn't look bad. So he goes and he takes back these ads as opposed to So everybody agrees in concept to a lien that the Lova can't do, even if it doesn't belong to the Malva yet, but the Lova can't do anything with it that would push away the future collection of the Malva. Everybody agrees to the concept of Shiva. Kipligi, where is the dispute between Abayv and Rava? The other way. The Zavid Malva Bekadosh Malva. Let's say in the interim, during the Zman of the Hava, the Malva sold it to somebody else. Or the Malva was Maktashit. So he hadn't yet collected on it. Then, but he hadn't collected on it. But he's already making, you know, all sorts of, uh, all sorts of chalaisim with it that he can only do if he's the owner. So Abayi, who says that once this, the Lova defaults on the loan and the Malva collects it, it was always belonged to him. As soon as the time comes for the, that, the, that he, the Lova is supposed to pay back and he doesn't pay back, it's revealed in a retroactive sense to Meikara that originally, meaning from originally from the time of the Halva, from the time of the loan, he was always in the possession of the Malva, the lien is retroactive, and any chalais which he had tried to do, which he tried to perform as an owner worked. So if the Malva has sold it to somebody else, we see that it was it, it was the Malva's the whole time. So the sale goes through. Or if he was Maktashit, the Hektish goes through. For Rava, Rava says, no, 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 no. You're looking at a lien in too, too much of an Ava way. It wasn't always his. It's only from the time that he that, that the Lova defaults and on that that belongs to the Malva. And what is the reason why? Why isn't a lien always belonging to the Malva? The answer is, the Lova didn't, if the Lova had had cash and he had some coins in, in, in his pocket, he definitely could have pushed the Malva away from this particular asset and given him coins, right? A lien is only to protect the Malva in case the Lova defaults. So since if the Lova had had coins, he could have pushed the Malva away with coins, that the real Kenyan, the real sense of ownership that we say, the owner, the, the, who is the owner of the field is the Malva, we can only say that after the Zman comes that the Lova defaults. So that's the dispute between Abai and Rava. If again, the issue is whether the Malva performs a transaction during the Zman of the loan, and then once the Lova defaults, Abai is saying it was always the Malva, so the transaction is valid. Rava is saying it was only becoming the Malva's now, so the transaction which was made before this manhap on is invalid. Okay, very clear machlokas abayv rabba. What does it have to do with our Mishnah? We'll get there. So at this point, we're not talking about collateral, we're just talking about collecting from a sheep, uh, from, from a sheep, but from a lien. So the Gemara just has a steer of a divi rabba. Mi amar rabba did rabba really say this? Now this is the tricky case, let's just focus on this case, we'll get the case, and then the rest of the daf isn't too bad. So let's see. Vama rami bar Ruven is selling a field to Shimon. 
And Ruvain knows he owes a lot of people money. He knows that someone might come to collect money from him. He's not going to have anything. And uh, everyone's going to say, okay, what about any assets that you have? And Ruve knows that when he's selling it to Shimon, that, hey, Shimon is taking a risk because when the, the creditors come to collect from Ruve and Ruve doesn't have money, they're going to go after any real estate that he had had from the time of the loan and they could legally take it away from Shimon. Because if you have a pre-existing lien on an asset and the lova goes and he sells it, we know what's the halacha, the malva can go to the lukuchos, to the purchases and take away. So Ruve makes Shimon aware of that. He says, Shimon, listen, this field might get taken away from you. So then Shimon's like, okay, I'm not going to pay for that, right? Why would I buy it? So Ruve says, no, calm down. I'm selling it to you bi'achrayis. What does he mean I'm selling it to you bi'achrayis? He's saying I'm taking accountability. I'm taking accountability means if my creditors come to you one day and take away the field that you bought from me, rightfully so, well then, you know what I'm going to do? I'll pay you back the money that you paid for my field. So that's how Reuven is a guaranteeing. He's backing up. He's making an achrayis on the sell that he's making to Shimon. Okay, great. However, another wrinkle here in this case is that Shimon didn't pay for the field right straight up. Shimon was also strapped for cash. He didn't have money to pay for this field and the whole thing. So this is what happened. So Reuven still gave him ownership of the field and they treated the money for the, the, of the purchase as a potential, like a halva, as if it would be, as if it was that Reuven lent Shimon money and Shimon owed him back money. So there are two things at this point. Shimon doesn't, Shimon hasn't yet paid for the field, so Shimon owes Ruvain money. And if someone takes away the field from Shimon, Ruvain had been Makabal Achrayas, and he's going to reimburse Shimon for what he had paid for the field. Okay, great, that's what's set up here. Now, what happened? Umez Ruvain. First of all, Ruvain dies. Ruvain's out of the picture. Then the next step happened. The creditors came and they came to Ruvain's kids and they said, hey, pay up your father's loan. They say, we can't, we don't have to pay anything from any metaltalim, which is the halacha. And they say, hey, but what about that field that your father owned? What happened to that? Oh, he sold it to Shimon. So what did the Baal go? He goes to Shimon and he says, buddy, you have an asset uh, that, has a, that, that I have a pre-existing lien on. So he takes it away from Shimon. So what did Shimon do? Shimon really liked that field. He was really into the field. He'd been his now for a couple of years or whatnot. He was into it. So what did he do? Also, Shimon, he paid off the creditor. He said, you know what? Don't take that asset. I know it's, you have a lien on it, but I will pay you cash instead. So he paid cash to the creditor to protect the field that he had purchased. Now, now, obviously, what, Shimon gonna, what does Shimon want to do? Shimon wants to come and go back to, to Ruvain's kids and say, uh, buddy, you guys, you, guys, you guys have to kick in your achrayas here because I just got my field. I just spent money to protect my field. If I spent money to protect my field, then, um, then you owe me money, right? So what would Ruvain's kids say? Yeah, but you also owe us money, buddy, because remember, Shimon had never yet paid for the field. So, what, so, so you would think, okay, at this point without reading Viter, you would think everything would cancel out. Um, Shimon hasn't yet paid for the field. Ruvain's kids probably owe uh, Shimon money to reimburse him for his field, so they cancel out. That's what you would think. But the Gemara says that's actually not the case. Dino who, Dino who, the law is the Asubne Reuven that the children of Reuven can come by Amri Shimon and tell Shimon, you actually owe us money for the original sale. Anan, mitazli shavak avun gabach. Listen, you owe our father money, which what happens is when you owe a father money and the father dies, you pay the kids. So you really owe us money. And this din of Achrayis that our father promised to reimburse you, listen, what do you want us to pay? We don't have any asset. We don't have any real property. We don't have any karka 
any, any real estate that has a lien on it. All we have is metaltalim from our father. Metaltalim, the, the, uh, the, the, the heirs do not have to use any metaltalim that they inherit from their father. They do not have to use to pay back any creditors. So yes, we owe you money, but we don't have to use our metaltalim. So you owe us money. That's a fact. You haven't yet paid for the purchase. LMI, you're tying that we owe you back money. We're, we're, we're not our father. We're only the, the Yarshim. And Yarshim don't have to spend metaltalim to pay back our father, to pay back our father's uh, debts. So actually, a fascinating thing occurs here. What occurs is that Shimon has to pay back, the ch- has to pay money to Ruven's kids for the original sale. He bought a field. And even though Ruven had promised Achrayas to Shimon if his creditors took away the field, and, Ru- and Shimon had spent money to protect the field, Ruven's kids don't have to reimburse Shimon for that because that's only the realm of, 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 of Metaltali Diasma, which are not Meshubah to Abalchov. So actually what ends up happening here is that Ruven really, really, something really, is that Shimon really ends up being the loser. He spent money to protect the field, and he still has to end up paying for the field to uh, Ruvain's kids. So he's basically paying for the field twice, which really, which really stings for him. But that is the essential halacha. That is what Rami Bar Chama taught. Okay, a very interesting halacha. So now Rava comes along and he says, but if Shimon's smart, he could still save himself. Omar Rava. If Shimon wants to save himself, he's a wise guy. You know what he's going to do? Maguluhu Araf. He'll tell Ruben's kids, you're right, I owe you money. But you know what? I'm not going to pay you money. I'm going to give you a piece of real estate. I'm going to give you a piece of real estate. He'll say, you know, I don't have cash today. Take my piece of land. Any piece of land you'd like, take. They take real estate. Once they have real estate, then he could collect the achrayas that Ruvain had promised him from the real estate that Ruvain's kids now own. So meaning once they acquire real estate, now Shimon comes over and says, your father promised me achrayas and you have real estate. If you got real estate and you're getting it, me out your father. So therefore I should have a right to that real estate. Mechatesi, that that works. And what, what's the hole here? The hole here is, is that did they really get that real estate from their father? Not really. This real, the real estate's only coming into their possession after the father's death. Is that true? That, 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 that a bow chov of their father can collect from real estate that, that Yarshim got after the father's death? And the Gemara is saying, yes, it is. If they, if they made a random purchase of real estate, not. But if Yisomim collected karka because someone owed their father money, meaning someone owed their father money, the Yisomim go and say, give us our money. He says, I don't have, I don't have cash right here. Take a piece of real estate. If the Yarshim take it, it's considered like they got it from their father. And therefore, if the father owed somebody else money, then that Baal can collect from the piece of real estate that the Yarshim get after the death of the father. And the novelty of Rav Nachman is that it's considered that they got it from the father. Because since they collected it from the debt that was owed to the father, it's considered like they got it from the father. And therefore, the lien that the other person has, he can collect from them. So Rava is applying Rav Nachman's statement here to our case. If Shimon's a really smart guy, he'll let the Yarshim take a piece of real estate. Once the Yarshim have real estate, then Shimon comes back and says, hey guys, you got real estate. Your father owed me money. I'm taking my piece of land back. And obviously, it doesn't have to switch hands. You know, you take the karka and then I take the karka back. The point is, he, Shimon, he, he, he strong arms the, 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 the children of Reuben and he says, listen, you can collect karka, but I'll take it right back. So let's just call it a day and do nothing. That is the brilliant solution that Rava said based upon Rav Nachman's statement. So let's think about Rav Nachman's statement that Rava is applying. Someone owed the father money. 
the Yarshim go and collect Karka. We say once the Yarshim collect Karka, now a creditor of the father can collect from that Karka. So, if you say that when you collect Karka, that somebody, that because somebody owed you money and he didn't pay you back and you collect real estate, the halach is that you're collecting it, it means it was always yours. That's why it makes sense that when Ruvain's kids go and collect real estate from someone who owed their father money, then it makes sense that another Balchov can collect from them. Because when they're getting that field, it was, it turns out retroactively, it was always their father's field. So if it turns out retroactively, it was always their father's field, then we understand it makes sense that they got the field from their father. The father owned it during his lifetime. He passed it on to the Arshim. That's why another creditor could collect. The command to govern mechaim davundami. It's as if it was collected during the lifetime of the father, because it's lemafreya that what's being triggered when the yarshim collect the real estate is that lemafreya was always the father's. But if you tell me that when you you collect when the lova defaults, it's only in the, for the future that it belongs to the malva. So it's as if the kids are only becoming the owner of the real estate now. The father never owned this piece of real estate. This is only a new field that the yarshim are getting it now. Yes, they're getting it because of the father had lent somebody money, but the ownership of the field is only coming now. So am I chosen to go for me? And why could another creditor of the father come and collect? It's just like Yarshim, go ahead. Let's say their father left them some cash and they buy a field. Are we going to say, would anybody say if the father left the kids cash, they use the cash and go buy a field that a creditor of the father can collect from the field? No way. And why is it no way? Because even though the father enabled the children to buy that piece of real estate, but it was never the father's land. If it was never the father's asset, then nobody can collect after the death. In order to collect after the death from the Yarshim, a piece of real estate, it has to be the real estate was owned by the father. So this case, the only way to understand Rav Nachman's halacha, which Rav is applying here in the Pichlos of Ruvain, is to say that when the kids go and collect a field from Shimon, retroactively, that field always had belonged to Ruvain. And if it had always belonged to Ruvain, then he, he, he bequeaths it to the children. Now we understand why the Balchov can recollect from there. So now the Chayra, we have a steer on the words of Rav. On the one hand, Rav tells us he's the sheet of the Balchov, Mikan Gove, that when you collect on it from a lien, it's only yours for the future. On the other hand, Rav is telling us the halacha of Rav Nachman, that when you from, 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 from the rights that they have for the father lends somebody money, then we view it as if it was always the father's and therefore another Balchov can collect from it. So the Gemara answers, it's not a proof. Why is it not a proof? Shani Hasim. So let's just speak it out. Shani Hasim, what are we trying to do? We're trying to say, really, Mikanu La If really Mikanu La it turns out it wasn't always the father's. I, if it was only becoming the, the, kid, the children's now and it wasn't always the father's, why could another Balchov collect from it? So let's just speak it out. Another Balchov, another creditor of the father, can say to the children, You're saying you collected this piece of real estate because somebody owed your father money. Well, the same way someone owed your father money, so there was a lien to your father, then the lien has a lien. The lien is also Meshubad to someone that your father owes money to. This is a fascinating halacha. If Ruven lends Shimon money and Shimon lends Levi money, so then any assets of Levi are not only are they Meshubah to his creditor Shimon, but since Shimon owes money to Ruvain, they're Meshubah also to Ruvain. If Ruvain lends money to Shimon, Shimon lends money to Levi, then Levi's assets are directly Meshubah to, to, to Ruvain. That's a novel idea. So that's what we're applying here. We're saying the creditor of the father says to the children, you collected because you had a lien. That lien is actually a direct lien to me because I, your father owes me money. So someone owed you, your father money, but your father owes me money. So any lien that, the third, that was between 
your, uh, your father and the third party is actually direct to me as well. So when you, as soon as you collect it, I can collect from it as well because there's a direct lien from it. Where do we see this novel concept? This is the law of How do we know if somebody owes his friend money? And his friend owes his friend. So Reuben lends Shimon and Shimon lends Levi. How do you know that Reuben can go directly to Levi and collect? How do we know, even though he didn't lend money to Levi, he just lent money to Shimon. But if Shimon lent to Levi, then that means that Reuben goes directly to Levi. It doesn't say that you go to the person that you lent the money to. You go to the person that owes you. So that implies that there's a person who could owe you money even though you didn't lend with him. How is that? That Shibu the Rebbe you lend money to Shimon, to Shimon lend money to Levi, you go to directly to Levi. So too here, the creditors of the father, they have a direct Shibud on the asset of the person that owes the father money. So if they have a direct Sheba, they can skip. They're not collecting because once the Yosomim got it, it's as if it was always the father's. Really? It's only becoming the Arshim's asset now. But the Bachov is saying that the creditors of the father had a direct lien that didn't require it to become the father's asset. That's the novelty of Shibuzi Rav Nasa. It's not the Pshat the Bachov is coming and collecting now because once you collected it, now it was always the father's land. No, really, it's not true. It's only becoming the Yosomim's lands now because Mikanul that's Ravashita. But the Vart is that there was always a direct lien from the Bauchov of the father to the uh, to the lenders of the father, and that's their right to this piece of uh, piece of land. So now that ends the hard part really of the daf, but we get through it. We defended Rava with the concept of Mikan Ulabo Ukova. So now we're going to try to understand why in the world we're learning about this, what this had to do with our Mishnah. So we learn in the Mishnah, the guy lent the Jew money. And then eventually what's happening, he's collecting, the Jew defaults on the loan, he doesn't pay back, and the guy is collecting his chametz, achar pesach, after pesach, mutter bahana. And we still say it's mutter bahana, meaning it's not viewed that the Jew owned the chametz over pesach, it's viewed as if the guy owned the chametz over pesach. So why is that? Direct, very simple proof. We have Rishon Marfeo Gove, if a buy is right, and when that when the Malva collects, it's retroactively always is That's understandable why it's Matabana, because retroactively was always owned by the non-Jew. But if you say that it only becomes the Malvas from the time uh, that the Lova defaults, why should the Chametz be Matabana? Who owned it while the loan, the time of the loan was existent? Who owned it on the time of Pesach? It was owned by the Israel. So it should be Asabana. It should be the Jew, it was the Jews' Chametz during Pesach, and the Malvas just trying to take ownership of it now once the Lova defaults. So it's a proof that it must be Lamafreya who So the Gemara answers no. In our case, it's different. Why? Because it wasn't some random collection that the guy made from the chametz. What happened was that the Jew took the chametz and he gave it as collateral to the guy before Pesach. It was kept in the rishus of the guy. So meaning it's like a straight up collateral that's being that's being that's being kept by the guy. And that's a new concept. Even like Rava, that Mikanu Govet, when a Malva collects from a lien, it's only his from then and on, not retroactively. But if he was given, if he was given a collateral at the time of the at the time of the loan, and that collateral was kept by him, so that of course, if it ends up being a default, even Rava agrees that the Mashkun's uh, ownership was always belonged to the Malve the entire time. And that's what our Mishnah meant. It wasn't some random collection from the Chametz. The Jew gave do- a box of donuts to the guy at the time of the loan, and the guy had the donuts the whole time. So once the Jew defaults, it turns out that who owned the donuts the whole time? It was really the Malve, the guy, and that's why it's much about Nam. Let's actually suggest that this is Machlokas Tanon. It says, 
Yisrael Shalva Lenachri Alchem. So it says in the verse, so the same cases as our Mishnah, just we're going to see some new names and different halachas. It's going to end up being a stira. So if a Jew lend money to a guy and the guy's uh, the collateral is the guy's over. There's not a problem. So this is not like our Mishnah. Right? Our Mishnah said it is a problem. That was the safe of the Mishnah. That, that's the first part. Mishnah Mayor, the neighbor of a mayor said, over. No. If the, if, if, if the, if the Jew lent the guy money and, and the collateral was the guy's chametz, so then the, the Jew is over. So what's the machlokas? There's the machlokas. One holds the mafreo gova. Who's that? That's Ramer. So when the guy defaults on the loan and the Jew takes the box of donuts, it was always his. So he was he was over the mafreya. So it was even though it was meshubah to the Jew, but since the, the, the default on the loan was only afterwards, so it's only mikanu labal. So it was the guy's chametz over pesach. So it sounds like it's a machlokas tanan. So it's basically you have the mishnah, but we have we have also here uh, we have also here a machlokas about it. So the gemara says, but tizbara. Is that really logical that that's what they're arguing about? Look at the end of that very same price. It says, that's all when the Jew lent the guy. So the inverse here, the guy is the creditor. He's lending money to the Jew and he's lending it to him. The collateral is the Jew's chametz. It says, after Pesach, everybody agrees the Jew is over. Why? Why should everybody agree the Jew is over? It should have just been the inverse. The person who well that in the ratio, Eno over, meaning that it was considered the guys the whole time because Lama Freya who go there. Hacha over. Here you should see over. Because here Lama Freya who go there, the Yisrael is the creditor. So it's Lama Freya, he owned the guys' comments the whole time. So you should be over. Lama Damar Hasam over. And according to the person that in the ratio, when the guy is the creditor, over. Because what? We say. That it's only becoming the guys afterwards. Hacha ain't over. Then we should say here ain't over because here when the Jew is lending the guy and the Jew is only collecting it afterwards, we should say that during Chametz it belong, during Pesach it belonged to the guy. So stam, something's off. We have a machlokas tanoim in the case when the Jew is lending to the guy. That's a machlokas tanam. But when the guy is lending to the Jew and the Jew is providing his his Chametz as collateral, it says everybody agrees the Jew is over. So stam, something doesn't make sense here. Something is off. The case is that he's giving him a mashkon. It's not the, in both cases, both the ratio and the seifa. It's not a random thing that the, the, the creditor is collecting from chametz, but the case is that it was provided as collateral from the outset. So what's the question? We're arguing about the terms of mashkon. How does mashkon work? So in other words, what just to follow the direction of the gemara? Really, everybody all everybody all everybody everything like rough. And, 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 and it's never just when you collect that I lean that it was always yours. The whole issue here only starts because there was ma- a mashkon provided at the time. The box of donuts was given over to the malva at the time of the, of, of the loan. So what's the root of the question? We're arguing about the nature of mashkon. The Amr Rabbi Yitzchak said, How do we know? How do you look at collateral? Maybe we should look at collateral as just a potential future collect place of collection. It doesn't belong to the Malva. And Rabbi Yitzchak says, No, that a mashkon is a kinyan. It belongs to the Malva at the time. When he gives the money and he gets the mashkon, the mashkon actually belongs to him even before this man of the default. Shinemar, it says in the Pasuk, So the Pasuk is talking about that when a Malva takes collateral and it's something that the Lova really needs, so he should return it. Out of an act of tzedakah, he should return it to the lova when the lova needs it during the during the interim. So Why is it an act of charity? Charity means I own this and I give it to somebody else. If the baalchov doesn't own mashkon, it's just kind of like his rights in the future to collect from it. So then it's not an act of charity. Maybe it's an act of kindness, but it's not an act of charity to return it to the lova. 
during the, during, during the time the Torah referred to it as charity. We see from here, so we have that, that's the concept, what we're looking at. So when you are Kona Mashkun, so that could theoretically change the, the ownership, and now we look at the particulars of the case. The Pasuk in context, the Xeris HaKalsev, that a Mashkun becomes the Malvis, is only written when a Jew lent another Jew money. That's where the Torah has shown us the concept that a Balchov is Kona Mashkun. Avom Yisrael minachri blokani. But Yisrael... Um, who's lending money to a guy? He's not Kona the guy's mashkron. We don't see that in the Torah. So if you're not Kona the guy's mashkron, so if you lent money to a guy and he provides you with a mashkron, it's still the guy's. It's not yours. So you're not over. And again, even though you end up retroactively collecting, that's not. We don't go that it's retroactive. We don't say. I'm sorry. Even though you end up collecting, we don't say it's retroactive. Again, the Gemara is going out. Everybody else look up. For a mayor savar, a mayor holds that it is a problem when you lent the guy money and he gave you the collateral because he says kavachomer. If Hashem said Yisrael Yisrael Kani, when a Jew lends a Jew money, he's kona mashkon Yisrael minachi lakosh again. Certainly, a Jew can be kona a guy's mashkon. Meaning, you should have more powers to acquire a guy a guy's object than another Jew's object. So, if even when you lend money to a Jew. The creditor is going to the mashkun. Certainly, when you lend money to a guy, you're going to the mashkun, and that's why Rameir said you're over when you lend money to the guy, and the guy provides you with a box of donuts as collateral because you're going to the mashkun from a guy. So the root of the machlokas tanam there is when a Jew lends money to a guy, and a guy provides mashkun. Do we say that the balva is going to that mashkun? That's the root of the dispute there. But in the inverse, Avon Dachri Shelves Israel Alchim. So the opposite. The guy is the creditor. The Jew is borrowing money. The Jew provides a box of donuts as mashkun. Achar Pesach after Pesach divrei hakol over. Everybody agrees that in that case, he is over. Why? Meaning the Jew, the collateral belonged to the Jew the whole time, not to the creditor. Why? For sure, everybody agrees, we have no source in the Torah that a guy is konet a Jew's collateral. That for sure we don't see. So if a guy lent money to Israel and Israel provided him with collateral, we definitely have no source in the Torah to say that the mouth of the guy was the owner of the collateral the whole time. So let's just make a summary of what we have. It seems like now that we have, we're really, we're really, seems like going with uh, favoring Rav Asad, it's not Stam that the collection of something makes it that it was the whole yours. The question in the Mishnah and the Brisa and everything is simply the fact that collateral was provided. And the question is, if collateral was yours the whole time, how do we look at collateral? And we know when a, when a Jew lends money to another Jew, the collateral was his the whole time. That's the idea of Bachov Konamashkin from the source of Rabbi Yitzchak Kulachat to Yitzchak. Machlokas Rameir and the Rabbanon is, if you say that when Israel lends to a guy, am I going to a guy's collateral? But everybody agrees that a guy is not going to a Jew's collateral. That is what we have from the Brisa. So now we back it up and with Dom, we notice that we have a steer between the Mishnah and the Brisa. So everything's good, but we have a contradiction in the mission of the Bryce. So now we learn the mission of when a guy lent money to a Jew. And the Jew provided the guy with collateral of Chametz, Akhar Pesach, Mutterbahana. Our mission said it is Mutterbahana. So, what did we say? That we're not talking about Stam that the guy collected it. Because no one holds like a Bayel Mafreya Gov. Everybody holds like Rava. But so we said, though, the Jew provided it as collateral. But now we're saying, we just made the argument in the Brisa to explain the Brisa that everybody agrees that when a guy lends money to a Jew and the Jew provides collateral, the guy is not going to the collateral. So now we lost the child in the Mishnah. The Mishnah said when a guy lent money to the Jew and the Jew provided him with a box of donuts, then after Pesach, when the, when, when the Jew defaults, it turns out that the box of donuts owned, was owned by the guy. Why? We're not saying, everybody holds Mikano La Gova, and we're saying even if it was a Mashkon, the guy is not going to a Mashkon from a Jew. So how do we understand that line in the Mishnah? So, just if it were not for the Brisa, which we discovered, we'd say, I don't know, maybe, maybe a guy could be called a Mashkin from a Jew. Maybe that would be the Pshat. But now we see in the Brisa, now that that, we made it so compelling. The Torah only said it by a Jew. Eh, we're not going to say a guy is called a Jew's Mashkin. 
So what's the pshat now in the Mishnah? So the Gemara says, Lo kasha, It depends what was said at the time. If it was said at the time that I'm giving you these box of donuts from now, that's what the Jew said to the guy, then everybody agrees that when, when the Jew ends up defaulting, that it belonged to the guy the whole time. And that you don't need a din of Rabbi Yitzchak and v'chule v'chule for. If that was the stipulation, I'm giving you the box of the donuts, and I'm saying to you that if I don't pay you back, these are always your donuts, then very clearly, when, once, the, once the Jew defaults, it was owned by the guy the whole time. So the Mishnah is talking about a case where the Jew said to the guy, these are yours, me'achshav. The Brisa was not talking about that case. So therefore, the Brisa said that when the guy lent money to the Jew, the Brisa, again, not the Mishnah, the Brisa said that the Jew is over even if he ends up defaulting. The Mishnah said he's not over because the Mishnah was talking about that the Jew said to the guy, these are your box of donuts from now. So it turns out that once he defaults, it was always belonged to the guy. How do we know a precedent that it matters what language you use when you give it if you say it's yours from now or not? The Tanya says in a price, not going to share in past. If the guy is giving the Jew by the Israel, so it says it's not over, but if he says he got Ticha, that these should be for yours, then the Israel is over. So my Shoresh and what's the difference? That's exactly the difference. The difference is what we're saying is that if he says this thing is to be for you from now, so then it turns out it belongs to the Jew and therefore he's over. But if he didn't say that, then he's not over. So we see a precedent that there's a difference between. Even in a case where there is a mashkon, there's a difference between where you say me'achshav and where you don't say, when you don't say me'achshav, and now everything makes sense. We're able to say that the Mishnah was talking about me'achshav and the price was, talk- was talking about without me'achshav. Says the Gemara, Tan Rabban. Chanusha Yisrael, now we move on to like a new, a new question. Chanusha Yisrael, you have a Jewish store, Malaysia Yisrael, all the, all the stuff there, the stuff being sold in the store belongs to the Jew. To the Jew, but the workers in the store are going. So if you find chametz there, how much Pesach? Whose do you assume it is? It could be that it was from the Jewish merchandise, so it's chametz shalav Pesach from a Jew, or it could be maybe the guy just brought it in during Pesach because he's a worker there, and it's chametz shalav Pesach from a guy. So the bride says aser You always assume it's from the store owner, not from the workers. So therefore, it's aser ba'na. Certainly, you can't eat it because you assume that it was the Jews' chametz, not the guy's chametz, because the Jew is the one who owns the store and all the merchandise in the store is the Jews. You don't assume it fell from the guyish worker. The opposite, chanusho nachri. If the guy owned the store, umalaisho nachri, all the merchandise is the guys. Upoli Yisrael you just have Jewish workers coming in and out you assume that all the stuff was from the store owner from the guy so it's so basically we're saying if you have a store that owns by one person and workers that are a different type you always assume it's from the store owner since the merchandise is him and you do not assume that it is from the workers Mishnah, a completely new topic. Let's say you have a ruined building that falls on top of Chametz. You have to go search and find the Chametz from under the pile of rubble in order to get rid of it, says the Mishnah. You do not. It is treated as if it is naturally mevuar, as if it is naturally gone. There is nothing that's required of you. Very famous Rashi in Bamatziah says, the Torah says, You can't see it, it's under the pile of rubble. What about Balyu Matzeh? So the, there's a famous review that says that uh, it's only in a certain sense accessible to you. Here, where you can't see it and it's piled under a pile of rubble, there's no requirement to get rid of it. This is only true if it's buried so deep that the dog won't dig it out. If the dog will dig it out, then it will become accessible on Pesach, so then that's a problem you have to go after it. 
even though really you don't have to do anything, you should still do bittel. Because we're scared that who knows, maybe, maybe, maybe it will come undone somehow. So therefore it's also, even though you don't really have to do anything, but at least do a bittel. Even though you have to destroy, you should at least do a bittel. How deep do dogs go? That's where Shemekam Leel is saying that the dog will sniff it, he'll sniff the scent, and he'll, and he'll dig it out. Shmuel said in the laws of a guardian, and in when someone entrusts you to watch their money, there's only one place you should keep it, or else you're going to be considered negligent. Where's the one place you should keep it? Buried in the ground, because or else someone is always out, it's always visible, and someone might steal it. So how deep do you have to bury it? Me being in Shosha Tvachim, do you have to bury it? Like here we're saying Chametz is considered like accessible if it's within the three Tvachim. It's only when it's buried three Tvachim deep that it's inaccessible. Is the same thing true when a guardian is watching money? I'm like, no, Hachamishim Reicha, here that there's a scent and we're concerned that the dog will dig it out. But you know, Shosha Tvachim, we need three Tvachim. Hachamishim Achsuye, there it's just that it's covered, Me'ina, that no one will see it. So therefore you don't need it to be buried three Tvachim deep. So how much, how deep should the custodian have to do it? He doesn't have to bury it three Tvachim deep. It just has to be covered, but how deep? He said, how much is it? Tefach. It should be at least one tefach. So, so the Shomer should, should bury the money one tefach in the karka, but by chametz, unless it's buried three tefach deep, we're concerned that the dog will, deep, will dig it out, and you definitely should go ahead and get it out so, and to go destroy it.